Well, it's uh, wonderful to be here. I'm thankful to Daniel for an invitation to uh, preach in the Christ Central pulpit once again. It's been a minute, as the kids say, since I was here last time. And in fact, the last time I was here, I just thought I'd recall a memory with you. You, you might have been here, you might not have, but it was when everyone was still wearing the masks. And uh, as I got up to try to take my mask off, I had an epic wardrobe malfunction. And it got caught in my headset here, my mic. And I could not for the life of me get it off. It, was, it felt like an eternity. It might have been nanoseconds, but it was deeply embarrassing. And my family drew great delight from it. And that's how it goes in our house. I was only rescued by an assist by Daniel, another reason that I'm very thankful to him. He came up and he rescued me by removing the mask. So uh, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for uh, letting me be here again. Uh, as Daniel said, I teach Old Testament at Duke Divinity School. And um, yes, I chose that profession. Wasn't like I took a wrong turn when I hit Matthew or, you know, I failed a New Testament exam somewhere along the way. It's my best Old Testament professor joke. Uh, as an Old Testament professor, I feel it's incumbent upon me to always say yes whenever anyone asks me to preach, especially to preach on the Old Testament. But I also think it's important, you know, as an Old Testament professor, that when I do so, well, how do I put it delicately? That I correct some things that may have perhaps been said in the pulpit prior to me that weren't exactly, you know, accurate. So, uh, you know, but don't worry, Daniel, not this time. Nothing to correct this time. Uh, no, no friendly fire even. It's all, it's all good. In fact, I wanted to recommend and uh, commend Daniel's sermon from last week, uh, which mentioned Proverbs 26, 4 to 5. And I think we have those verses to show up here on the screen again. Yeah, they, they, there they are, 26, 4 to 5. Daniel pointed out that these verses give us contradictory advice in two verses that are right next to each other, right? In doing that, these verses capture something of the difficulty of the wisdom project, which is what to do and also when to do it. But what Daniel wasn't aware of, however, was some cutting-edge work that I've recently been doing at Duke on the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts of these verses. You all are thinking I'm joking. Okay. Now, it turns out, you're probably right. It turns out that in these manuscripts, when the verses say fools, the Hebrew term is far more specific. It actually says Facebook fools. <laughs> now, the Hebrew is a little bit older, right? So the younger Greek translation that translates the Hebrew original also has an interesting reading, slightly different. It reads Twitter fools. Remarkable. Syriac, even later, TikTok fools. So there you have it. Some additional cutting-edge research rounding out what Daniel said last week. No correction at all, actually, just further information. But even with this further information, the problem remains, right? Do we answer fools or not, whether on Twitter, Facebook, or in real life? How do we know what to do, what the wise course of action is? That is the question when it comes to living a wise life in biblical perspective. A line from the book of Job captures the conundrum in a different way by this question it asks. It says, where can wisdom be found? 
Where can we turn to learn how to be wise, whether there's a fool in the room or on the other side of the phone? Again, that is the question when it comes to wisdom, but happily, the book of Proverbs gives us some answers to it. I want to touch on four answers using chapter one as our point of entry, picking up right where Daniel left off last week. So I want to invite you as you're able to stand and honor the reading of God's word, which comes to us from the book of Proverbs, chapter one, verse seven through verse 33. Listen to the word of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Don't neglect your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful wreath on your head and beads for your neck. My son, don't let sinners entice you. Don't go when they say, come with us. Let's set up a deadly ambush. Let's secretly wait for the innocent just for fun. Let's swallow up the living like the grave, whole like those who go down into the pit. We'll find all sorts of precious wealth. We'll fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We'll share our money. My son, don't go on the path with them. Keep your feet from their way because their feet run to evil. They hurry to spill blood. It's useless to cast a net in the sight of a bird, but these sinners set up a deadly ambush. They lie in wait for their own lives. These are the ways of all who seek unjust gain. It costs them their lives. Wisdom shouts in the street. In the public square, she raises her voice above the noisy crowd. She calls out at the entrances of the city gates. She has her say. How long will you clueless people love your naivete? Mockers hold their mocking dear and fools hate knowledge. You should respond when I correct you. Look, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll reveal my words to you. I invited you, but you rejected me. I stretched out my hand to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored all my advice and you didn't want me to correct you. So I'll laugh at your disaster. I'll make fun of you when dread comes over you, when terror hits you like a hurricane and your disaster comes in like a tornado, when distress and oppression overcome you. Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will seek me, but won't find me because they hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They didn't want my advice. They rejected all my corrections. They will eat from the fruit of their way and they'll be full of their own schemes. The immature will die because they turn away. Smugness will destroy fools. Those who obey me will dwell securely, untroubled by the dread of harm. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Actually, I didn't pick up right where Daniel left off because he covered 1, 1 through 7 last week, and I've actually included verse 7 once again because it's so important. Most interpreters think it functions as something like a motto for the entire book of Proverbs, and it also gives us the first answer to the question, where can wisdom be found? The answer in verse 7 is clear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's how the Common English Bible puts it, but two quick things need to be said about this. 
First, we should remember what Daniel said last week about the fear of the Lord and how that connotes reverence and awe before God. But we also shouldn't miss the fact that the specific word that's used here for that is in fact fear, which often denotes real visceral fear. You can fear the Lord in the Bible and you can also fear a lion. You know, that's, that's some real visceral fear right there. The second thing that should be said about this verse is that the Hebrew original says, and I'm, I'm not joking this time, I'm really being serious. The Hebrew original of this verse says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in 1.7. Now, knowledge isn't exactly the same thing as wisdom in Proverbs, but the terms are not unrelated, and wisdom does occur in the second half of that verse. Wisdom is more than intelligence in the book of Proverbs, but it's certainly not less than that. The terms can be said to be co-referential. That means that they aren't identical, they're not synonyms, but they can be used to refer to the same person. I'm going to talk more about co-referentiality later. It's a fancy word, I realize, and I have to admit, I only learned it last week, and I've been using it in almost every conversation since. Highly useful term. (laughs) Makes you sound smarter than you actually are. But for now, it's enough to note that the motto found in 1-7 is repeated elsewhere in the book, like in 9-10, which actually puts it the way we are typically accustomed to thinking. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not knowledge, though knowledge is also mentioned in that verse. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight, that verse says. So that's the first answer to the question, where can wisdom be found? With God, obviously, and, and generally. But more specifically, in our proper disposition toward God. To put it differently and plainly, verse 7 says that if you want to be wise, start with this. Revere God. Reverence God. Respect God. So much, so deeply, so fervently, that it might even look like you are scared to death of God. Even if you aren't. But you might be. Because that's how seriously you take God and your relationship with God. Whatever the case, that kind of profound respect for the Lord, that is where wisdom begins. That's the starting point. That's the foundation, as Daniel said last week. That's verse 7. Verse 8, the very next verse, gives us a second answer to where wisdom can be found. It's with your father's instruction, it says. That seems appropriate on Father's Day, doesn't it? To underscore that point, I want to underscore it, especially since I myself am a father three times over. Let's give it up for fathers on Father's Day. Did I mention I was one? Yes, there you go. There you go. But verse 8 isn't done with its mention of a father's instruction because it also says wisdom is also found in your mother's teaching. Both mom and dad get mentioned here, and that's important for more than one reason. For one thing, as you likely already know, ancient Israel was a patriarchal society. So women aren't mentioned as much as we would like or as much as they should be. And that's why anytime female characters show up in the Bible, we should pay special attention. Those are moments when the Bible is breaking free of that male-centered context and revealing to us how ultimately There is neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, to quote the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.28. In fact, in in Proverbs 1.8, while dad is associated with instruction or discipline, it's mom who's associated with nothing less than Torah, 
that Hebrew word for seriously weighty teaching, even divine instruction. So, yes, verse 8 is a great verse for Father's Day, but it's equally good for Mother's Day. Maybe we should use it for Parents' Day. Yes, that's a thing. This year, it's July 24th. Just throwing it out there in case any of my children are listening. July 24th, Parents' Day. Verse 8 suggests that wisdom can be found with the older generation, with our immediately preceding older generation, with mom and dad. That might be easy to hear if you have a great relationship with your parents. It might be harder to hear if you don't. Either way, verse 8 says parents know some things. And when the things they know are things that belong to the realm of wisdom, things like instruction and teaching, well, at that point, parents are most definitely worth listening to. Last week, Daniel told us that in the ancient world, wisdom was often associated with the court, with training individuals, particularly young men, for public service. And that's why there's so much in the Bible's wisdom material that relates to proper decorum in front of powerful people, especially monarchs. That is completely true, but note how verse 8 doesn't lead with that. It doesn't lead with politics. It leads with parents. So, while wisdom is definitely associated with the court and political circles, it's equally also part of the home. And there, at home, it wasn't just dad who taught the kids, but also mom. And it wasn't just sons that learned how to be wise, but also daughters who grew up to be wise mothers, full of Torah teaching. Wisdom, verse 8, tells us is found with both mom and dad. But there's another interesting tidbit about this imagery. The, the parent-child relationship was, in fact, a primary way ancient people understood and talked about the teacher-student relationship. That relationship was often presented you know, metaphorically as if it were that of a father and a son with the teacher, the parent, and the pupil, the child. What that means is we have to flex the imagery a bit whenever we read Proverbs. The parent image that we come across could be about real parents, but it could also be about teachers, teachers who are not our biological or adoptive parents. Teachers, too, that is, are repositories of wisdom, or they can be. In fact, the book of Proverbs figures presents us, construes us, places us, all of us who read it, as if we were the student or the child who's listening to a wise teacher or parent who is often, though not exclusively, presented as a father figure. So that's the second answer with parents and teachers. And it leads directly to the third answer to the question, where can wisdom be found? The third answer is that wisdom is found with wisdom itself. Or to be more precise and to use the language of Proverbs, wisdom is found with wisdom herself. For whatever reason, the book of Proverbs frequently personifies wisdom as a woman. Beginning already in verse 20, if you look at it again, wisdom shouts in the streets, she raises her voice in the public squares, it says. Maybe this personification balances out how so much of proverbial wisdom is presented as a father's instruction to a son. But whatever the case, 
since the goal of proverbial instruction is nothing less than wisdom, it comes as no surprise that woman wisdom is also presented as a parent, as a mother and a teacher who teaches her pupils who are called her children. This is, a, this is what she says to them at the end of chapter 8. Now, children, listen to me, wisdom says. Happy are those who keep to my ways. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't avoid it. Happy are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorposts. Those who find me find life. They gain favor from the Lord. Those who offend me injure themselves. And all those who hate me love death. If some of what wisdom just said there in chapter 8 sounds a little bit like other texts in the Bible where it's God, not wisdom, who says such things, that's no accident because the book of Proverbs associates wisdom with God. That's already in the motto, right? Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That close connection is actually why personified wisdom can speak like a prophet in chapter 1. Look again at verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street, raises her voice in the public square. And what does she say to everyone who passes by? Change your ways. In other words, repent. That word that the prophets used all the time. Stop being so clueless, she says, so naive, so stupid, if we were to update it a little bit. Wise up and do so quick because there's a limit to wisdom's patience. Whoever remains immature, smug, foolish, etc. And we have to admit that that can include us, not just people on Facebook and Twitter. In fact, it can include us when we are on Facebook and Twitter. But anyway, whenever someone, we or someone else, continues in those kinds of ways and habits, the end, wisdom says, is truly dire. Their end is truly dire. Such people end up dead, wisdom says, because they don't change their ways. They don't turn back to her, but instead just turn away. They are destroyed, wisdom says, because of their smugness, their complacency, their stubborn, wrong-headed foolishness. Again, if all that sounds a bit like the way God sometimes speaks through the prophets or elsewhere in Scripture, it's because it is. Wisdom and God go together. They are a team, you might say. And that's why in chapter 8, wisdom says that she was the very first thing God created. Not light, but wisdom. Wisdom goes on to say that when God made everything else, she was right there alongside God, constantly delighting and rejoicing in the Lord and in all that the Lord had created. Now, if you've never heard that bit about woman wisdom before, don't worry. It's likely just because you haven't had a chance to read Proverbs closely yet. But guess what? Now's your time this summer sermon series. But not just in this summer sermon series, but also on your own, because that is the fourth and final answer to where wisdom can be found. It's found in the book of Proverbs itself. 
That's the force of the first six verses of chapter one that Daniel preached on last week. Those verses are the prologue of the book before the motto that comes in verse seven. And those six opening verses make very clear that the purpose of the book of Proverbs is precisely to teach wisdom and discipline, to help us understand wise sayings, and to provide instruction. If you want to be wise, Proverbs says, read me. That's how the prologue puts it. And the prologue envisions at least two distinct audiences for that important work. First, it says that the book is designed to make naive people mature and to make young people knowledgeable. Not bad, right? Whether we are truly young in terms of our age or young at heart, that's a nice way to say old, or just new to the project of living wisely, this book is for us, the prologue says. But the prologue also says that the book of Proverbs is equally helpful to those who are already wise. That's the second audience. Listen up. It says to those who are sagely, you too can grow in wisdom by reading me. Even those with great understanding, Proverbs says, will gain further guidance in order to understand difficult sayings, the words of the wise and their puzzles. Puzzles like whether you should answer a Twitter fool or not. And when. So, wherever we are at, new or experienced in wisdom, we can learn from Proverbs and become better, can become wiser, more mature, more discerning, more understanding, more just, more righteous, all the things, all the good things. That's not a bad deal if you ask me, and all for just reading a book, free. Now, the idea of co-referentiality comes back at this point because in Proverbs, all the good things are associated with wisdom. Righteousness, for example. Now, not everyone who does something that is righteous is necessarily wise, nor is someone who is wise necessarily righteous all the time, but the two often go together. They can refer to the same person or the same act. When people act wisely, good things typically result. When people act foolishly, the end results are typically bad. Unrighteous, for instance, or or wicked in some way. Maybe they involve the shedding of blood, murder, mistreatment of others. Juneteenth is in no small way the celebration of people finally acting wisely to end a terribly unwise, unrighteous, and wicked institution. Am I right? That work is far from done, however. And so we need to crane our ears and listen still for wisdom's voice because she's calling. And she's calling right here in the book of Proverbs. We need to read it. And the prologue asserts that we need to read it more than once, at least twice. The first time through, we may be newbies, novices, just beginners in the wisdom project. But the second time, we will be at least a bit wiser and can learn more. And then maybe the next time, still more and again and again, so that we grow in maturity and wisdom 
and in favor with God and others. That last little phrase was an allusion to Luke 2, which speaks of Jesus using that same language. I'll say something more about Jesus in a second, but let me just say first that what I've asserted about Proverbs can be said and should be said about all of the Bible. Do you want to be wise? Read Proverbs. And then keep reading. Christians believe and have for millennia that Scripture as a whole contains God's wise words to us. Christians believe and have for millennia that Scripture as a whole contains nothing less than God's divine wisdom. Now, you'll no doubt recall that the Gospel of John calls Christ the Word of God and states the, the Word was with God in the beginning, right? Present at and in and during creation. Christ, the incarnate Word, that is, as explained by John chapter 1, is equated with personified wisdom from Proverbs chapter 8. You might also recall that in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls Christ the power of God, but also the wisdom of God. So there's the New Testament drawing connections between Christ and wisdom. But Paul says something else, though, as well. He says that what he preaches about Christ, God's wisdom, and what Christians believe about Christ, God's wisdom, seems downright foolish to pretty much everybody else. Now, we know, of course, that the way of wisdom, the way of Christ, most certainly does not lie with fools. But the problem is that real fools, well, they don't know that, do they? They don't know what's what. They don't know up from down. But we know, because we've read Proverbs, that fools actually hate knowledge and despise instruction. And we also know because we've read Proverbs, where that kind of foolishness ends up in disaster and death because it doesn't hear or heed wisdom, God's wisdom. Sadly, though, that exact brand of foolishness is exactly what is widely considered wise now in our world. But God's word in Scripture and in Christ calls us to another way, a better way, the way of wisdom. Listen to how two psalms situate us in this conundrum. Psalm 12, first. O Lord, watch over us. Save us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side, and that which is worthless is highly prized by everyone. Think about that verse for a minute. That could have been written last week or this morning. Then Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who act accordingly have a good understanding. God's praise endures forever. We live between Psalm 12 and Psalm 111. And in the middle of all that, wisdom shouts in the street. In the public square, she raises her voice. 
Above the noisy crowd, she calls out, and at the entrances of the city gates, she has her say. Let those with ears to hear listen to what wisdom is saying to the church. Amen.